0: So we're starting a new series. Uh, This is the first eight week series that we've ever done. We're going to actually be going for eight weeks. The first two are kind of to tee everything up and then the next six are going to be very uh, practical ways to um, that we're going to build on our spirituality and kind of six really practical weeks. So as best you can, I'd really encourage you to be here for all eight because they all tie in together. And we've named it Game On. And when I was in high school, I played football. I was on the football team. And um, I'm 46 now. And so whenever you see a man who's about my age and they start talking about high school football, uh, usually it goes back to his stories about you know how great they were and all this. And that is nothing like my football experience As a matter of fact, I went through my entire football career frightened. I I didn't like the hitting at all. I I didn't I wish they could have just removed that I loved running, I loved catching. That's fun. I liked having the ball handed off to me. And I liked doing that. I even liked a little bit of blocking. But the, like those bone-crushing hits, all that kind of stuff, I wasn't interested. And so my freshman year, everybody was going out for the football team. And I went to a small Christian school. So I was pretty much guaranteed to get on the team since it was so small you were kind of going to make it. And um, <clears throat> I weighed about a buck thirty five and... I had this giant helmet. I think I was the last person to get a helmet. And I could be exaggerating, but I'm fairly certain that my face mask stuck out this far. So I looked kind of like a bobblehead. Uh, Just tiny body, giant helmet that never quite fit right. And if I was next to the coach and he talked to me, I'd swing my head around and hit him with my face mask. And then he would hit me with his clipboard and go, house because that's, you know. Anyway, we'll talk about football coaches later. Uh, He would just start striking me, which I didn't appreciate. Anyway, and so my my freshman year, I played 15 seconds in one game. It was a game that we statistically could not lose because there was 15 seconds left in the game, and I think we were up by three touchdowns. And I remember they put me in uh, at uh, defensive end. And... And, and I had no idea what I was supposed to do. All I remember was the coach said, Rittenhouse, get out there. I peed a little bit. I went out, <laughs> and, and I just knew, okay, I know enough about football to know, just tackle the guy with the ball, tackle the guy with the ball. But everyone seemed bigger than me, and they all seemed like they knew what they were doing. And I just had that feeling of, I don't belong here And especially at defensive end. And so my, you know, my helmet's going like this. And they, you know, the hike, you know, whatever. And so I just watched everybody where they went. And then I like stuck my arms out. And then just kind of like was leaning against everyone. Like we were moving a boulder or whatever. And I just remember thinking, I don't. And so then I like fell down. Like, whoa, do you you see what I did? And I didn't play the whole rest of the season. And then my sophomore year because because they review film okay so anyway uh my sophomore year then i kind of knew what i was doing i was a sophomore and so i you know i was on the team and i had a position and i got a different helmet okay like one that fit and so I, i was all stoked about that but still when it came to the hitting i didn't like the hitting and then my junior year, I made it to varsity, and my team was awesome because it was all seniors except for a couple juniors. And we went undefeated, and we went to CIF playoffs, and I hated the hitting part. Now, here, let me let you in on a little secret. If you play football, you better like the hitting because there's a lot of it. And you can't just remove that element out of football and it still be football. Just the whole mentality of hitting, I just wasn't into. And I I wasn't into the grunting and the kind of like, let's all, you know, get, just like whip each other up into a frenzy. And, you know, we'll say intense on three. And it's like, well, you know, if we're going the wrong direction, don't do it intense. Like, let's first work out a strategy and then we'll say intense. They didn't buy any of that. And so it just wasn't it. But I was on the football team. You just can't remove that stuff and it still be football now. Some of us are doing this in life, that we are going through life and we're going, and there's an element of our lives that we wish we could just, if they could just remove that, if they could just take my boss and just move him over here, if we could just get those neighbors, if I could just get a different job, the problem is Oftentimes, as you found out and as I found out, we really have very little control over what happens in our lives. And we can pray and all this kind of stuff, but sometimes that there's layoffs. They happen. Sometimes you go to the doctor and you get a diagnosis and you think, man, if it just wasn't that, then my life would be awesome. Or or sometimes parents get divorced because they just, for whatever reason, and as a kid, you're just going, man, if only my parents would just stay together and all these kind of things. Sometimes kids just act foolish and you wish, man, if just my kid could just not act foolish anymore, what, what have you. Life just happens. And the thing is, we want to remove those things and just kind of pick and choose what we want to do. But that's not really life, is it? I mean, that's not what happens in life. And and so what we're going to look at over the next eight weeks, we're calling the series Game On. And what we're trying to get across is that life is happening. And God doesn't just want you to survive it. He wants you to thrive. He doesn't just want to get like, like there would be times, you know, in football games where I remember getting to the end of the game, realizing I still have my ligaments successful game. You guys lost 54 to nothing. My knees are still intact. Uh, we're, We're still playing football, right? God doesn't want us to get to the end of our lives and go, Oh, I'm safe. I made it. God wants us to be able to thrive in the midst of whatever is thrown at us. Because guess what? As you've seen, we've all been around long enough. Things get thrown at us. All of a sudden, before we can... Do anything. So, what what I want to show us before we get kind of into this sermon is we're going to look today in Ephesians chapter 6. And Ephesians chapter 6, the sixth chapter, just happens to be the last chapter. And so, what's happening is Paul is writing a letter to this church in Ephesus. And, and, and it's a church just like our church, j- just like a lot of churches around in the area. They've got problems, they've got this or they've got that. And, and Paul's trying to encourage them. He's trying to guide them and direct them. Because Paul knows this, that our spiritual life is best lived out in community. And that the church of Jesus Christ is the very organism that's designed to help us live out our spiritual lives. And so Paul would write these letters to these churches. And the first three chapters of this letter, when Paul wrote them, they didn't have chapters and verses. It was just the letter. And and so we went back later and we put in these chapters and verses. And so that's kind of how that happened. So Paul wasn't really writing in terms of, well, the first three chapters. But it just turns out that the first three chapters are all about God. And they're really deep, spiritual, mind-blowing concepts about God. As a matter of fact, um, we actually did a, very early on when I first got here, we did a series through Ephesians. And one of the pastors told me, you know, why would you, because I I hadn't gone to seminary or anything. He's like, why would you pick one of the most theologically packed books and teach on that? And I was just like, because I can't. No, I, I, I was like, it has what? Like, I, it like really frightened me, but we'd already... Put out an email saying we were going to do it. So I was kind of stuck. But these first three chapters, nine times it talks about God's grace and just how gracious he is and how that grace, like how almost said it's like a lie. It's like just a great, just God and his grace. And seven times it talks about his power. So you've got this God that's gracious that extends grace, but you've also got this God that's all powerful I wrote some other things down. He's got manifold, multicolored wisdom. That's kind of how Paul describes his wisdom, that it's, it's beyond anything we can imagine, God's wisdom. He's loving, and, and his love surpasses knowledge. It's almost like his love is, you can't even fathom it. These are, these are the concepts Paul is writing to this church, deep theological concepts. It says in there that he's all powerful, that he created all things, that he has unsearchable, glorious riches. You know, this is our God. This is the God we worship, the God we serve. This is how powerful. This is the picture that Paul's painting about our heavenly father. He says, in him, the whole church is bound together. And again, the way Paul thinks and the way the Bible thinks is not just our church, but the church of Jesus Christ. Churches all over in Africa and, um, you know, in Europe and just around our area. All these churches worshiping God that were bound together in God, that the same God who's here is over at You know, Garden Grove Friends Church, too. It's just awesome to be. Like I said, when you begin to really think about some of these things, it's like, wow, God is awesome. It says he's the God of peace and that he breaks dividing walls. That he redeemed us, that he predestined us. That word is so rich. And just when you start thinking about, wow, that. You know, before the beginning of time and you and people argue over this kind of stuff. It's so deep. You know, you get camps that believe this and believe that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's above all and in all. And you start to think above all and in all. What's that? I mean, you could spend hours just thinking about, man, God, like, like, here's a here's, a, here's, a, here's a freak you out. Is God sitting next to you right now in this service? Is he like sitting there? Is he sitting on top of you? Like, how how are you how are you in all and and, and above all? And God man, does he, did he know I was gonna say it? You know, just this kind of thing. This is what Paul's doing. He says, All in heaven and earth derive its name from him. And and so he he does this for three chapters, very intense, deep theological concepts. And then he writes this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Like this God he's just described. All this power, all this wisdom, grace, and love is actually at work in us. They talk about mind-blowing. The God of the universe is at work in us. Why? Like, why would he want to do that? He's God. All that, all that power. So then what he does, what Paul does, is he stops right there. And he goes into these next three chapters. And he says, right after that, he says, I implore you, I beg you, I'm asking you, please. Is kind of the, the idea. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Like, take all that cool, heady stuff about God, all the things that we can think about, you know, he's everywhere and he created everything and all that. Take, Take that and walk in a manner worthy of that. Live your life according to that belief that God's all powerful. And then he just goes into all this like practical stuff. Love each other. Be humble. He talks about uh, don't walk in the futility of your mind, like thinking about small stuff and all that kind of stuff. Try, try to think above the fray, above the little stuff. He says, speak the truth. <laughs> like, don't lie. Like, You got this awesome God who can do anything. Then speak the truth. Don't, don't speak. Most of the time when we lie, it's because we're fearful, right? Don't be fearful of that. Speak the truth. Uh, be angry and do not sin. You know, I got the angry part. Okay, we're working on the don't sin part. Uh, be imitators of God. Watch how you speak. Like, w- watch the words that come out of your mouth. This is the very practical things Paul's talking about. Don't participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness. Make the most of your time, he talks about. like Just while you're here on earth, make the most of your time. Don't get drunk. It's just practical stuff. Wives, can you respect your husbands? And husbands, can you lay down your life for your wives? Children, can you obey your parents? Parents, don't be jerks, okay? Slaves and masters or employee-employer relationship. In other words, if you're in a place of power, don't abuse it. And if you're a place of not power, don't seek it and seek to get out from under it. These are just the practical things he talks about. And they seem different, don't they? And don't, don't sometimes you think about, man, when we, even when, even when um, uh, we were worshiping and we were talking about, uh, Jason was talking about, um, you know, sometimes I just want to get away and just kind of get into my room and, and worship. I and mean, we don't oftentimes, sometimes we want to just move away from the stuff that's happening in our lives and just kind of get to a spiritual mindset, you know? Don't you want to do that sometimes? And here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, listen, in order to play this game of life, in order to have it game on, we have to combine the theology of an awesome God with the practicality of living that belief out, living that theology out. We want to bring those two together. And so what Paul does at the very end is he says, finally, He's, he's going to kind of wrap it up. And that last chapter, when they did that last chapter, it, 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 it isn't very long. It's just basically Paul just trying to get those last things in. And this is what we're going to talk about this morning, starting in chapter 6, verse 10. He says this, finally be strong. Now, if you think about it, that kind of sounds like a football, like, you know, halftime Ra rah chant. Come on, man. We got to be strong. You know, we're down by 10 points, but we can do it. Go ahead and be strong. And, you know, if you've ever been in a, in a locker room at halftime or whatever, depending on the nature of your coach, sometimes you got those guys who are just, you know, they spit when they talk. And, they, and if they can work themselves into a big enough lather, then maybe you'll actually go out and do something. You know, that, that kind of thing. And during that time, I would press my uniform. You know, just like, make sure it's nice and clean. And I didn't wear like lavender shirts or anything, but I, I wasn't into the hitting. And so he says, be strong. Well, be strong. doesn't help you really. Does it? Like, okay, th- thanks. I don't know if you've ever gotten advice like that. It's just, you know, you're going through something really difficult. And somebody says something like, well, chin up, you know, keep, keep going, you know, Whatever. It doesn't help. And so for those of you who know this verse, who've kind of studied this section of the scriptures, it doesn't end right there. And this is so encouraging. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This God that we talked about for three chapters, that God who's above all and in all, that God who has predestined us and redeemed us and he's gracious and he's all powerful and all that. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In other words, we can be strong. The reason God has us melding these two kingdoms together, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth, is that we cannot on our own make it in the kingdom of this earth on our own strength it's impossible and so he says be strong in the lord and in the power of his might and don't you want god's power in your life you know, when you think about the circumstances that you're in, and I know many of the circumstances, just even as I, I look around, with marriages and with lawsuits and with layoffs and with accidents and with things that are falling apart and all that kind of stuff. Don't don't you want God's power in that? Now, listen, oftentimes what happens with me, what I want God's power, but I want my strategy. I want him to empower my strategy. And so if I'm in a situation in, in my job, not necessarily this job, but if I go back to my old job in, in, in business or whatever, and I think to myself, oh, I don't, I don't like my boss. My strategy is how do we get rid of the boss? And God, give me the power to get rid of my boss. Or maybe it's finances for you and you're like man i just you're know, just barely making it if i just had god's power to just get that raise or get that promotion or i'm willing to work for it i just i want that thing or, or 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 how about this one you're in your marriage and things are beginning to kind of get a little bit rocky you think man if i could just have god's power to change my spouse just god do it lord do it just change him See here's the thing and this is what we're going to see in the next few weeks and in the next few verses God's power comes with God's strategy God's power does not come to your strategy and to my strategy and oftentimes we want God's power, but we don't really like His strategy. And you can kind of read some of the things in Scripture about God's strategy that's a little bit disturbing, like um, turn the other cheek. Well, that might have worked for you back then, Jesus, but this is America. You know, if I don't if I don't go after my own thing, it's never going to happen. And to turn the my turn the other cheek and become a doormat—is that what you're asking me to? And so we talk in terms of picking your battles and all that kind of stuff. And here's what I want us to see this week. You can pick your battles. You can't pick your battles, but you can pick your strategy. Your battles are going to come. It's just the nature of life. Sometimes you don't get into the school. Sometimes you can't afford that thing. Sometimes he leaves. Sometimes she leaves. Sometimes you get the diagnosis. Sometimes you lose your house. Sometimes you get into an accident. Don't you wish sometimes you could just go, man, if I just didn't have that. But then that wouldn't be life, would it? It would just be some type of thing that we manufacture ourselves. And God doesn't want us just to survive life. He wants us to thrive in the midst of whatever's thrown at us. And so we can't pick our battles. We can't just say, I want to be a football player, but I don't ever want to tackle anybody. Then you're not a football player. And we can't in life say, I I want a life that just pleases God and is awesome and not have struggle and not have trials. It just isn't the way life works. And I praise God for his strength in that. You can't pick your battles. Now you can pick the times you engage, you know, sometimes you'll go to therapy and they'll say, you know, pick your battles. And what they mean is choose to engage, you know, don't, you know, just kind of go to the death on everything, you know, kind of pick and choose. And you raise your kids that way and you raise your, you know, you're in a healthy marriage that way. But it's, it's these, it's these kind of conflicts that just come that we just, nothing we can do about it. And so here's what He says, he says, put on the full armor of God. And I, 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 I put this guy on here just because he looks awesome. Uh, and I love football. Love to love to watch it. But um, you know, each one of those pads has a certain function. And they're there for a certain reason. You know, the helmet and the, those thigh pads and knee pads and all that kind of stuff. Some guys will put on extra elbow pads, all this kind of If it were me, I'd be like, uh, who, who's, the, who's the guy who was the in his rocket, uh, suit. Um, and it was it? Iron Man. That's what I would have worn on the, on the field if I could have, right? but all, all these things, do you know why he's wearing that? Cause he's a football player. He plays football. He needs the armor. And what God is telling us is, look, are you in life? Guess what? You are, you have no choice, but to do it. And so he says, if you're going to be involved in life, where there's going to be contact, life is a full contact sport. If you're going to do it, put on the armor of God. Don't manufacture your own armor. Don't pick your own thing of, okay, I'm going to be involved in this and not be involved in that. God wants you ready for anything. Is it going to be hard? Are there going to be small injuries? Absolutely. So he's just saying, put on the armor of God. Now watch what he says. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, now here's the thing. You might be sitting here and going, John, I don't even want to play. I would just, I just want to be left alone. I want to get up. I want to go to work. I want to get my paycheck. I'll pay my taxes like anyone else. I'll come home. I'll watch Duck Dynasty. I'll go to bed. I'm done. I'm done. I mean, just, I I, I just, that's all I want to do. But here's the problem. You have an adversary. You have someone in your life. The devil. Who wants you to fail. And he's got schemes. Now those schemes may not be just specifically at you. You know, I, I, I joke a lot of times where I say, you know, I'm not doing enough damage for the kingdom of God. That the devil is going to like set aside some, you know, something else that he's doing and just come after me. Like, I don't think I show up on his radar. Like if we don't do something about garden grove, this whole thing is going downhill. Like I don't see him doing that, but he's got schemes that work along my flesh. And so I see Satan more as a cheerleader for me as I'm operating my flesh. He's like, Ready? Okay. You know. Good job, John. Keep up the good work, right? I don't know what he, if he dresses like a cheerleader, but my, my point is that, that he goes for that. That when we begin to operate in our own strength and in our own mind and we start thinking I'm gonna battle according to my own thing, he's on the sidelines going, Go get him. That's exactly right. He's got schemes. And so if you think you're gonna just make it through life and everything's going it's not gonna happen. And so he says, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. They're coming. And then he says this thing that I just want us to get this, this whole week. This idea, as you kind of look in your life and you think of those one or two little things you could just remove. This, this is so encouraging. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our, our battle, our struggle, This, this Greek, the reason I put that picture there um, is not because uh, I'm a UFC fan. Um, I don't like seeing people get punched in the face, so it kind of repulses me. But my, the point is, of this picture, is it shows what the struggle is like. That, listen to this. Even when your life is awesome, you're making great money and everything's going awesome for you, you may, without even knowing it, be in a struggle. In the spiritual level. God might be going, Oh man, do not put your confidence in riches. You get the big raise, the big bonus, you get the you score that deal, and God's going, No, don't focus on that stuff. And you don't even know it, but you're in a struggle. This struggle, uh, it, it, it says it's it's like a vibration. It's like you're arm wrestling. I was talking to Devin after church, uh, first service, and he was talking about his friend who's an arm wrestler, and it's like that. When you're just, ugh. You can kind of see it here. They're just both trying. He's trying to choke him out, and he's trying to get it off. That's a struggle. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not your boss. It's not your kids. It's not your parents. It's not your house. It's not your relationships. Our struggle, this battle we have is not against flesh and blood. It is spiritual. Some of us wish it could be against flesh and blood because we kind of do that well. We're actually navigating life pretty darn well. We, we don't have debt. We got this going and all that kind of stuff. And so the fact that it's not, maybe we're real smart, attractive or whatever. Or think Doors are opening up and we just, we're a straight A student or whatever. And we think, man, I kind of like the fact that it's flesh and blood. This is working out well for me. Some of us are like, oh, this is so encouraging. Because I'm horrible at the flesh and blood stuff. It seems everything I touch just falls apart. Regardless of who you are, Paul is making this statement. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He goes on. He says, against, uh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. Just kind of a little bit about that section of scripture. It is not about who's in government Paul isn't talking about that. If we just get the right guy in Washington, Oh, that's man's schemes. It's, it's like if we, you know, if we could just get now, there's something happening in the spiritual realm and the kingdom of God above what we can see above what we can hear. And God says, that's what I want you tapping into. And we say, how do we do that? Well, he gives us some clues. Verse 13, prior to the one you see on the, on the uh, wall behind me, says this, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. And then he says in 14, which is there, stand firm then. And he just starts talking about these things, the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And then he goes on, he says, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith with with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Really, Satan? Flaming arrows? Like they couldn't just be arrows? You got flaming arrows? This is what Paul's trying to get across. This is serious, Your relationship with God and how you navigate life is serious business and it counts for eternity. And you have an adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And he's got flaming arrows. (laughs) And God says, you know, I don't want you just to survive. I want you to thrive. I, I want you to put on my armor. I want to prepare you essentially for battle. Essentially, God's saying, game on. We're playing. The game has started. And you're in it. And you play an integral part. And the temptation is to go, God, I would be involved. But this one thing is stopping me. This one issue. And God's like, put on your helmet. Put on your belt. Get strapped up. Because someone's going to level you. And you better have that protection on there. Listen. Listen. We cannot pick our battles. They come to us. Oftentimes we bring them on ourselves. Some of us have things in our lives right now that we've brought on. We can't pick those things oftentimes, but we can pick our strategy. And as you're beginning to see here, and as we're going to see in the next seven weeks, God's strategy is for us to press into him and begin to listen. God, what would you have me to do? Here's the phrase I want us to get going into this week that I want you just to keep in the back of your mind. Jesus talked about it because Jesus, if he modeled anything, he modeled what it was like to have a mindset in the kingdom of God, but still be a breathing, living, breathing, eating human being on the earth. And here's what he says. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. As a matter of fact, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, you can kind of see where he's coming from. Now, I'm not saying that you should join the Judas fan club, okay? But for Judas, man, he's in this, he's in this country, Israel, this land that God had promised to the Israelites, And the Romans are in there messing everything up. They should not be there. It's not their land. And then Jesus comes and he's got all this power. He can heal. He can feed. I mean, can you imagine if you went into a battle, like a real battle with someone who could heal you right then? Now I'd be up for it. Hello, I mean, if I'd play really good football, if I knew, oh, I have a compound fracture and Jesus is like, bam, and I'm like, all right, back off we go. Think of where Judas is coming from. And so when it turns out that Jesus is like, oh no, no, it's not this stuff. Oh, the Romans will be here for another couple decades. It's about something different. Judas is like, man, let's get rid of this guy. I I can kind of see where he's coming from. And Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. This is the mindset that we're going to be talking about in the next seven weeks. Your kingdom, if you you want to be a follower of God, a follower of Jesus Christ, your kingdom, the things that, that will be valuable to you, the things that are on your agenda are not of this world. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against that boss. It's not against your career. It's not against your family of origin, all that. As we begin to adopt that and we begin to look in this series of what that might look like, your heavenly father, who's described in the first three chapters of Ephesians as being awesome, will equip you and meet you and allowing you to be strong in the power of his might if we adopt his strategy.